morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. It's good to be present with you all. It's good that we can celebrate again church. This week, um, because of the raising numbers of, of, uh, of people infected in the area of Lisbon, we almost had to cancel the Sunday service here in this place. But gladly, the Evangelical Alliance spoke with the health uh, government, and they said that um, religious gatherings are still allowed, so we, we take every opportunity that we have. And it's good that we can be together, see one another, be one another, even though with the limitations, it is completely different when we are together. And for those that are following us on, the, on, on Facebook, that are following this live, um, we also think of you, we pray for you, and we, we miss you as well. So all together, those that are here or those that are watching, um, we are together as we worship together. I hope the sound and the logistics is working on that side, and I hope this message will come across as well. I want to start by uh, reading already what will be the central passage of, of today's message. And the exercise that I want us to do throughout the message is to understand with the conclusions that we will get, how do they bridge to these two verses? How do they bridge to this conversation or this small bit of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples? In one of his last teachings with his, his disciples, one of his last conversations between going to the cross, Jesus has this meal, as is, we call it the Last Supper, and he teach his disciples wonderful things, powerful things uh, that they had just the privilege to be there to hear. And in one moment, as Jesus is teaching them, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Just show us God and that will be enough. And I imagine probably Jesus Sighing and says, Philip, I have been with you all this time, and yet you still don't know me. How can you say, show me the Father? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you still ask, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Christianity is this unique religion that distinguishes from all other religions because of the deity of Jesus Christ. No other religion claims their main prophet to be God. Quoting Reuben from last week, he said, the gospel without Jesus is just a program, it's just an ideology. The kingdom without its king becomes idolatry. I really want to invite you to, um, to hear, and we have still on podcasts, we are still on Facebook, I want to invite you to hear, and if you haven't done yet, then it's mandatory, but to hear the preaching of Gabi and Ruben on this series. We started three weeks ago, and Gabi started by exploring, and I'll be 
saying it in a nutshell, what I highlighted personally and what I think it's important then to bridge to this message. But God, uh, Gabby started by um, exploring this idea of what the kingdom of God is based on three key words that started with the letter D. Do you remember those words? All right. Dominion, dynasty, and dwelling. Dominion, dynasty, and dwelling. Good memory. Through those three words, Gabby challenged us to align our beliefs and align our thoughts with God's will through his word. And she reminded us of that bracelet and that expression, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus forgive? How would Jesus walk humbly on earth? Look at Jesus, look at his character and you would and ask yourself, what would he do in this situation? And that shows um, God's character. Reuben then last week explore still the centrality of Jesus and this tension that happens also in the kingdom between the, and, and the Jesus uh, preach this kingdom that is already here, but not yet. Some has been revealed and something is, is still to come. He explored this and I put it in two different timings. One was the times of grace where salvation, redemption was revealed. The grace of God was revealed. And in the future, we will live times of glory. Times when all things will be fully revealed. A day of consummation and victory to all those who belong to God's family. And now in the present, we need to learn how to live in this freedom of the Spirit. Ruben quoted 2 Corinthians, this freedom of the spirit we need to live that is framed in God's values. So Christianity distinguishes from any other religions, not just by the deity of this Jesus Christ, God on earth, but also because of the relationship between the creatures and the creator. In all other forms of religion, the underlying doctrine is about the creatures trying to reach the divine. How? Based on good actions, based on the good deeds, based on the effort, based on exhausting meditation. We need to try to reach there, all our self-achievements. And somehow this effort not somehow, this effort is centered on the creatures in order for them to reach the divine. But the gospel of the kingdom is radically different. It's the opposite. From the first page of the book of Genesis until the last line of the last paragraph of the book of Revelation, you see God, the creator, full of unfailing love and faithfulness in order to redeem the fallen and the rebel creatures he reached us he came down and the highest expression of that action is found in Jesus but I fear that in our modern times we find ourselves still emerged in another dangerous doctrine that can contaminate our faith in our church culture. Can you put the next slide, Dina? 
please. There you go. Do you know this painting? Yeah, it's a famous painting. It's called The Creation of Adam by Michelangelo. And it's painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. Now, you can read the painting. Uh, you can interpret it as, as, as you want. And that's the beauty of the paintings. That you can look at it and it seems uh, simple enough. But I want to use it to talk a little bit about the, this, this tension, this problematic thing. I call it the iChurch culture. You know, the iPods, the iPhone, nothing against Apple devices, but the iChurch, the me church. This self-centered gospel of the kingdom of God. This message is diluted because it's centered mainly in ourselves, in our immediate needs, in, and, and, the, and the, to be free of any pain and of every uh, suffering. God comes as a helper, but comes as a helper to satisfy the needs here and now. The gospel is dangerously watered down and regarded as successful if it brings immediate results. A consumerism gospel that we take every Sunday in order for us to be filled and survive the rest of the week. And you see a lot of this culture in the worship songs, for example. We take worship as our book of Psalms and in every line of these songs we find it talking about me, me, me. Dare to be yourself and learn to find out how God sees you. It reminds me of the brief teaching that Jesus does about the seed that falls on the different soils. And when he talks about the seed that falls on the rocky soil. And that message is received with great joy. But soon when the troubles come, when people um, live their lives... The seed is not rooted and it doesn't last long. I must explain myself. And that's why I chose this, uh, to look at this painting and to illustrate this idea. Because it is a balance between God, the elevated creator of all things that wants to reach down to us. He does, he wants that. But also the church culture. So this, for me, this paint depicts well the God that is able to reach down on us. But then I look at Adam and I see maybe Adam in such of a posture of, please touch my finger. You know, there's some kind of, there's some kind of the tension. You know, God is, is, is reaching down, but Adam is not getting it. The kingdom of God doesn't start with us. It's all about God. And I was just telling Don how um, God used him to choose the songs. Because we've just sang in the last song, It's All About You. I didn't ask to sing that song. And he chose that song to be in this specific order. And we just sang, It is All About You. So that's why I want us actually to understand, why is it all about God? It's all about his infinite expression. His boundless attributes. Were there no human beings on the face of earth? Were there no galaxies? Were there no universe? God would still be worthy of all praise, of all glory for all times. 
It just happens that out of his grace, out of his creativity, universe exists. Nature exists, expanding God's beauty. And because God himself said that we, as his creatures, as his workmanship, because God says that, yes, we are valued, then we find purpose in him. Then we find life and we find worth in him because he said so. So that the conclusion that we draw from the gospel of the kingdom of God is that this relationship is actually centered on God and not in about ourselves. And out of his goodness and mercy for our souls, we as his precious creatures, we find him uh, that worth. This is why the message I want to bring today, it's actually to speak about who God is, right? We talk about a kingdom. So who is this king? Who is the king who rules the kingdom? And as we understand, as we better understand who the king is, then we can better understand the culture, the system of how the kingdom should behave. And I will borrow... Um, I've been reading a book about a famous theologian called A.W. Tozer, and I will borrow a few expressions from his book. And he's very humble in his book, and he says, we can write and we can so much about God, but we will never actually be able to describe God fully. And I also don't want to be presumptuous this morning. What I want to bring is a small, small idea that I just pray that it can steer your hearts and you can take it home, and God will do the rest. But I want to talk about who is this God that rules the kingdom. And my prayer, as, as, we, as I, I finish the introduction chapter, my prayer is, as Tozer wrote in his book, I wish to ignite the concepts of majesty in our minds. A vision of the king. He says, the decline of the knowledge of God has brought on our troubles. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. So let's talk about the king. Let's understand a little bit more who this God is. We need to think right about God. What comes to your mind when you think about God? What is the first thoughts that come to your mind? I'll just drink some water. To some, perhaps, like in the picture, God is this old man with long, white beard sitting on the clouds and maybe with his arms crossed and ready to strike us as soon as he sees something bad happening and God is there to punish to others, maybe the first thought is, God is full of compassion. Maybe to others, I feel afraid when I think about God. To some, God can be a father figure, as we read about God the Father. To some, this fa God as a father figure is actually so precious because we didn't have any earth uh, father figure. So God fills that gap, and it makes to total sense. But maybe for others, 
your father figure on earth were so bad that you don't even want to think about God as a father. And that actually drives you away from God. Our culture, our personal experiences, our background shapes the way we think about God. In a sense, is inevitably. But it's so important for us to for us to, to think about God and for our idea about God to correspond as near and as possible to what God truly is. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. An idolatrous heart assumes that God is something that he is. And substitute that God for something according to our own likeness according to our own image, the I-Church culture. And the essence of idolatry doesn't mean necessarily that we bow down to uh, visible objects of adoration, but it's every single thought that we entertain that it's not worthy of God. And so an idolater simply imagines God in a way and then behaves as he or she believes God is. In a conversation that Job has with his friends, after Job losing his health, after the wealth being taken away from Job, and he finds himself in this discussion with his friends of, is it fair, is it not fair, why is God doing this, why is, what is God's justice in the middle of this? And one of the friends says, do you think you really understand God? Do you completely understand God all-powerful? That knowledge is higher than heavens and deeper than the place of death. So what can you do? How can you learn it all? How can we learn it all? He's greater than earth and bigger than the seas. And it's true. How can we fully comprehend God? Can a small ant that only sees the few millimeters that lies ahead, can that small ant says how we as humans, what do we see, what do we do, and how do we morally behave? Can a small ant have the same perception as we have? It can't. Way more distant are we from God. How can we fully comprehend God? God is self-existent. God has no origin. God always existed. What is this for us? God always had to exist. There, there could not be a point in time where God didn't exist and then started to exist. Who created God? And if so, God would not be God. The one who created would be God. But what is this, the God who always existed? What is this, the God who is self-sufficient? Needs nothing. If something was outside of God and God didn't have it, and if God needed it, then God would no longer be God because he lacks something. God doesn't need even our worship. God doesn't need even our praise. God doesn't need us. There's nothing in God that lacks. He's complete. He is full. But how can, we, how can we measure that? God the eternal has no time. God infinite. God that is not bounded to, to time, to space, to matter. How can we how can we even grasp it? Yes, we cannot fully comprehend God. 
we can only know what God decided to reveal about himself throughout the, uh, the scriptures. A theologian gave this analogy. God is like the sun that shines the brightest. And what we can now experience is we cannot look at the sun directly. We cannot stare at the sun for that long. We can only see as a cloud is covering the sun. And what we can see now is just the, 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 the rays of light that comes out of behind the, of that cloud. And we can feel the warmth that comes from there. And we know something is, uh, the sun is there, is behind the cloud. And that's the experience that we can now have uh, with God. But when we start thinking of such things, when we realize our smallness compared to the greatness of God, when our conscience tells us that we have done so wrong that since our childhood we are accused or guilty of rebellion against the majesty of heavens, then the inner pressure of self-accusation might become too heavy to bear. Might become too heavy. Who are we so small compared to this great God? The gospel can lift this destroying burden away and brings beauty from ashes. That's why through Jesus Christ, God is completely self-disclosured in a way that it's visible, in a way that it's practical, in a way that it's very real. God among us. The Bible says in Colossians, Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him reconciled everything to himself. In Hebrews, the Son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Philip, for how long have I been with you and you still don't know who I am? How can you still ask, show us the Father? Have you not seen me, the visible image of the visible God? Don't you know me, the one who reconciles everything to God? Have you haven't looked at my actions that expresses the very character of God? Philip, how much more time do you need to understand? In this analogy of us not being able to look directly at the sun, but there's the cloud that um, protects us from it. There were some episodes in the Bible where some men saw through a gap in that cloud and saw a little bit more of that sun. When the psalmist saw the transgression of men, 
he wrote in one of the famous sounds, there is no fear of God. And in here, he revealed the psychology of sin. When we no longer fear God, we transgress his laws without any hesitation. When we no longer fear God, we make ourselves the ultimate moral judges of good and evil. When the fear of God is gone, the fear of the consequences are also gone. But whenever this man saw through a gap in the cloud, whenever we see these stories in the Bible where men had, were near the presence of God, the results were all the same. They started fearing God. This fear is more than a natural apprehension of danger. This fear of God, it is not to be afraid of God. And Tozer says it again very well. It is an acute, it is a deep, sharp feeling of personal insufficiency in the presence of the Almighty God. Fear of God is a sharp feeling of personal insufficiency in the presence of God. When God spoke, Abraham fell down with his face on the ground. When God appeared in the burning bush, Moses could not look at it. And he hide his face because he could not look at the glory that was coming there. When in this discussion between Job and his friends and they challenge God, when God finally answers to Job and he actually challenges Job, he says, brace yourself like a man because now I have some questions and you have to hear them. And God started, where were you when I laid the foundation of what? When are you when I stretched out its dimensions? When are you when I created light and the animals and the beasts of sea and on earth? Where were you, Job? And after God challenging Job, Job could only say, I must remain quiet. I must shut my mouth before you, God. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. So I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance. When Isaiah had the vision of God in his throne, full of glory, lightning uh, under his throne, the angels flying and, and shouting, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Isaiah could only squeeze from inside and he, he cried out, woe to me. I am done because I'm a man of unclean and sinful lips. When Saul, the main persecutor of a Christians that time, was heading to Damascus, and in, on his road to Damascus to put some more Christians in prison or to kill some of them, like it happened to Stephen, when Saul sees, when, when Jesus appears in front of Saul, and when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul could only fall on the ground and say, Lord, what will you want me to do? Right there, his life was transformed. These experiences show that a vision of the divine transcendence soon ends all debate between the creature and the creator. 
That fight, that debate, that doubt, that controversy is over. The fight is soon over when we are nearer the presence of God. And we are left conquered like Saul saying, Lord, what will you have me done? Lord, acknowledging right there the authority of God over his life. And when we read about the rest of the life of these people I just mentioned, we see that this fear of God, it didn't let them away from God. They didn't run away from God, away from this relationship with God. Quite the contrary. It steered their hearts and filled them with such love and purpose and thankfulness to be part to be to have the privilege of be, of being part of God's story on its kingdom it filled their hearts with such love and purpose that they never turned away from God the fear of God does not turn us away from God brothers and sisters the message of the gospel, it is not a ticket to heaven in order for us to escape hell because of our sins. The message of the gospel is the message of this God that cannot be reached by us, but that this God that decided to share his kingdom with us. It is to the extent that we understand the measure of God's love that then we give our lives fully and follow Him no matter what. It is an inside-out transformation that makes us leave whatever we need to leave behind because what we can get from God, what God will give, it's way better. This relationship, this experience with the king of the kingdom, it's not something that is imposed on us. God doesn't force us to take this relationship. We are free to do so. We are free to decide if we want to be part of the kingdom of God or not. And many times it's, it's our pride it's when we think too much of ourselves. It's the things that we don't want to leave behind. Or it's the wrong concept of who God is. Is the lack of experience with this God. We are too far away. There's too many clouds and we don't even see the sun. And we don't want to leave, even want to look at it. It's when this pride or other things doesn't make us approach the presence of God. Then we don't understand what fear of God is. And we don't understand the power of that fear to get us close with God and live the life he gave us fully. Again, in all this God's love, the climax of expression of this God reaching down on us is found in Jesus Christ, God himself on earth. 
So how can we know God? How can we then um, experience or how can we approach the divine presence of God? And here, again, is that last D that Ruben presented last week. It's about decisions. First decision. Ask God to reveal more about himself in your life. Have you ever had an experience similar to those men in the Bible? Have you ever had an experience in your own life where you, you were closer to the divine presence of God? Have you ever had a season where you were closer to God? Ask God to bring you closer again. Ask God, ask the king to come closer to you because you know it's God's will to do so. Ask him. Ask him to remind you of that first love. For those that haven't made a decision, uh, for those who hasn't given their lives to God, for those who are still battling with, with questions, ask God initially, God, I, I have doubts. I need to see, uh, I have so many questions. I need to understand uh, so many things. Start by asking God to reveal more of himself in your life. And I know he will do it. Second decision. As God starts to reveal in your life, let God be the ruler of that revelation. Let God, the ruler of the universe, be the ruler of your heart. Let him decides, let him be the final judge. Let him be the judge of what is good and evil. The standard of his kingdom are naturally his. The law or what, what or the boundaries that God asks are not things that God asks us to, to live. God doesn't define those boundaries so we can live such boring lives, fills with do's and fills with don'ts. God created everything and defined boundaries because he, he knew that inside those boundaries, his kingdom could be lived in the, in the best way possible. And when we let God be the ruler of our lives, when we humble ourselves, when we sense God revealing that to us, we let him be the ruler of our lives, then all those things belong to him. This freedom of the spirit that Reuben said is again, is a freedom framed on his kingdom values. And that is wonderful. I could testify of it. I'm sure many of you could also testify with, uh, about that, that walk with God in that freedom, understanding and wanting to obey God, not because God said so, not because we are outside, we see the rules and we think it's, boring to have to, uh, to, uh, to comply with them, but because we are filled with such love for this God that takes care of us, then out of this love, we are motivated to, to live uh, uh, in this way. Ask God to reveal more about himself. Let him be the ruler of what he reveals. And third decision, you yourself get to know the king. 
approach the king. You have access to the king. Again, there are not practical, magical formulas. There are not 10 steps that you can do in order for you to reach that peak of relationship with God. What there is, is the tools that God left on earth for us to use and for us to use them in order for us to get to know him. His word is left here. We have access to it. Through his word, we have open doors to the throne room of God. Prayer is time that God granted, grants us to speak with the king. And prayer is time that God grant us to be in silence and let the king speak to us. Nature around us. Nature is available. Has the king's art for us to contemplate and give him glory for what he has done. Time of devotional. Time of meditation. Intentional quality time with God alone. My grandfather likes to memorize scriptures so that in other parts of his day, the scriptures come to, to his mind and he meditates on them. He likes to do that exercise. My parents like to do the devotional together in the morning so that they, they are worshiping God together. And they do the devotional in English so they are practice their English so they can speak better with uh, Jode and, and my brother's wife. <laughs> Dina, he was there uh, sleeping in our house and in the morning he was there with his blanket wrapped around him but then bare feet and he was with his Bible and he was reading the psalm and reading a, bit, a verse of the psalm and then praying over it. You know, time with God, ways of doing it, ways of communicating, ways of spending time with God. Community is essential. We don't have to walk this road alone. But we walk with one another. Challenging, being accountable to one another. Praying, supporting one another. Philip, I have been with you all this time. And yet, you still don't know me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Church, anyone, who's, anyone who sees Jesus sees God. The visible image of the invisible God. The exact expression of God's character. Jesus is telling us, man, Pedro, for how long have you been with me and you still don't get it what do you need why you don't get it I would like to call the worship um, group to come as I share the last D the last decision as we understand the beauty you can come as we have these experiences with God has God speak in, 
in, in our souls, as God transforms our hearts, then we need to make the decision to share God with others. As we decide to be followers and servants of this King Jesus, we can walk ashore in his promise that Jesus said himself, all authority in heavens and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. So now Jesus gives to us and he says, so go. He gave us a spirit of, not a spirit of being afraid, not a spirit of fear of the things around us, but a spirit of power, of love, or spirit of self-control. And we can walk humbly, but boldly, and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all these things. And be sure of this. He will be with us always, even to the end of the age. How wonderful is the gospel of the kingdom of God. I'm so glad it is not centered on me because my emotions, my feelings are like the waves in the sea. If it would depend on me, it would be, oh, I'm a disgrace. But because it's all about God, and God in His infinite expressions, He's always faithful. He's always good. He's always just. He's always merciful. His love has no end because it is about God then we know the foundation of our faith is like solid rock. Let the storms come. The house will not be thrown into the sea. I pray and I quote, this time not Tozer, but a pastor that wrote a very interesting article about the kingdom of God. And I pray this. This is the last slide. May we have a vision of the king who fills every micronutrient in our body a vision of the king that fills every nanosecond of our day with fullness of life and fullness of purpose God help us to come to a right belief about who you are so that we soon realize we want a lifelong duty to love you with every power of our mind, with every power of our soul. We want to obey you perfectly. We want to worship you acceptably. Help us to have a right vision, God. Help us to have more of you so that we think less of ourselves. Help us not to reason against you, but to be, but to live in faith and love only. 
What can be to the intellect now darkness? You are sunshine to our souls, to our faith. And one day, God, when, you see, when we'll see you face to face, then we will understand what you have revealed now is enough, God. Is enough. God, it is enough. Help us to think less of ourselves, God. Help us to not entertain any thoughts that are unworthy of you. Who are we, God? Who are we? We don't deserve. We don't deserve, Father, but you came down to reach us. How much more time do we need, Father? How much more time do we need to, to fully commit to you? How much more time, how much more revelation do we need to kill our pride, Father? You showed it all. It's all about you, Father. It's all about you. Help us to be humble. Help us to be faithful. Help us to leave what needs to be left behind because nothing can compare to what you want to give us, Father. Help us to deny ourselves. Help us to take our crosses daily. Help us to experience what you have experienced. Because in the end, the victory belongs to you. The victory belongs to us. We will be full of joy, full of glory, full of honor. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you.